Well, good morning. You're all in good spirits. You're all well. You're all full of turkey and ham and mince pies. And in fact, we've had a gorge on food, yeah? And you've all been staying up late and talking into the night and then get up in the morning and then you go into the day and say, oh, why do I feel tired? It's because you didn't go to bed last night. I, I went to the bank and looked through the till and I saw this young woman and she just looked weary. Yeah, she just looked tired. And I kind of said to her, I said, oh. she had a bad job. I said, Rebecca, are oh, you okay? She says, oh, you don't understand, man. I said, yeah, I understand. She says, our family, when we get together, we talk all night. <laughs> and it's five o'clock in the morning when we're going to bed. So as she comes to work, she is fragile. <laughs> well, I hope you're not feeling that way this morning. Well, it's been a momentous year here at the Vineyard. You know, we've been celebrating 25 years of the Vineyard here in St. Albans. And, you know, we have to give God thanks for his faithfulness to us here at the Vineyard. And particularly you know, to, you know, Chris and Fliss, who, who were called to plant a vineyard here in St. Albans. And it's their courage and their vision, you know, as a, as, well, as a group and as, well, as a family that have, you know, have caused this vineyard to come to pass. And yes, they're having a bit of time off, but I'm telling you, it's, it's been a wonderful 25 years. Now, I met Chris right at the beginning of the process, about 1988. Um, I wasn't in the church then, but I remember what Chris said to me. He said, at some point, he thought I would be. And since then, you know, over the 25 years, we're all older. But God has done wonderful and marvelous things. Now, as I was thinking about this message, uh, the thought came to mind from Joshua chapter 13, I think it's verse 1. And it's, it's not a great, it's, a, it's an interesting verse because God says to, uh, to Joshua, you are old. <laughs> Which is not a particularly encouraging thing to hear from the Lord. And there is still much more land to be possessed. And it's that fact that there is still much more land to be possessed. That we're not there yet. You know, there are people in the city and further afield who are still struggling economically, emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, who are, as of yet, not followers of Jesus. Today, we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament in the book of uh, Kings. And just to give you a little bit of background here to the book of Kings, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to get there in a minute. But under David, the king, kingdom came together, it was united, and David and Solomon reigned over this wonderful kingdom and expanded Israel to its furthest points. Then, towards the end of Solomon's reign, he marries many foreign wives, and Unfortunately, he falls away from the Lord. And what happens is that God basically says the kingdom's going to divide. And in about 931 BC, his son Rehoboam comes to the throne and the kingdom divides. And 10 tribes go down to the north under Jeroboam and two tribes. And by the way, those 10 tribes are called Israel. And that's helping you. So when you read 1 Kings and you hear about Israel, it's talking about the 10 tribes in the north. And when you're talking about Judah, the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah that were left in the south. The worship center, obviously, in the south was Jerusalem. 
Now, Jeroboam didn't want them to go up to Jerusalem lest they join back with Rehoboam. So what actually happened is they set up their own worship center in Samaria. And they didn't get into Jehovah worship. They got into calf worship and Baal, etc. Anyway, what we've, by the time we come to chapter 17, the, the northern kingdom has had six kings. And the southern kingdom has had six kings. In fact, I think it's five kings. The king in the north is a guy called Ahab. He's not a nice man. He actually provokes God to anger in such a way that no other king after him is as bad as Ahab. Ahab encourages the people into what we call Baal worship or Baal worship and Asherah worship. This is fertility worship, fertility gods. Basically, what you've got is ritualized prostitution as a way of worship. It's idolatry. This is not a good time. In the south, you've got Asa. Well, Asa was a pretty decent king. So he's about the sixth king. So that's the background. Now, because Ahab is so wicked, God sends prophets. And one of the things you need to understand is that God uses the prophets to, to, to challenge to chide, or as someone said, to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted, which is a nice way of putting it. Yes? So he sends Elijah, and Elijah just appears in 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you, you want a title to this particular message, the title is, There's No Need in the House. There's No Need in the House. I'm going to unpack it now for you. So come with me now to 1 Kings 17, 1. Uh, to 14. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tabish in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And one of the things you need to understand about the prophets in the Old Testament is that these prophets spoke to kings. I don't think Ahab was too happy about that. Anyway, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at Kereth Revin Revin, east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. That must have been a sight. You know, ravens coming with the meats and the food. <laughs> yes? So he did what the Lord told him. He went down to Kereth Revin, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. It was Elijah's fault. <laughs> That's why there was no rain. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zaphareth in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zaphareth. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God did, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So there's a story. And you think, well, where's he going with this? I wasn't sure, but I'll tell you this. <laughs> it came to me. You see, when you, you, you preach, you know, you, you get things just passed you by like a cloud. And this passed me by and I thought, well, Lord, really want me to say? I mean, this is the last Sunday of the year. I want to bring something that's going to be zip the people up and we're going to cheer and make a lot of noise because I'm kind of good at that. And the Lord says, yes, you can do that, but not today. I said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, we pick it up at 1 Kings 7, 9. Go at once to Zarephath. Now, here's just something for you. The word Zarephath there means place of refinement. Yes, I could develop that and I really wanted to. Go at once to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and said, would you bring me a little water in a, in a jar so I may have a drink? And she was going to get it. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, bring me some bread, please. Now, Elijah said to Zarephath, as I said, it's a place of refinement. It's going to prepare him for the battle that's coming up ahead in chapter 18. You said, what's that all about? Well, what's happened in Israel is Israel has gone far away from God. There's, there's idolatry going on. They're serving these fertility gods. They're involved in all forms of sexual immorality. In fact, there's even... Um, they have to actually, some of them, in part of the worship was the firstborn being given up in sacrifice. So this, they're in a terrible state. So God now sends Elijah to speak to Ahab, and God is providing for Elijah. But what's happened here is that having left the brook, he's now in Zarephath, and he's in the place of refinement, and God is getting him ready for the Mount Carmel as it were, confrontation. And he's going to say, if you read on in the chapter, in verse 18 there, if the Lord is God, then follow him. Now, I have to just stop there because I mustn't develop that any further because that's not what I'm going to preach about. But you can read it. Go home and read it. It's a fantastic passage. Anyway, the economic situation is not good because God's judgment has come upon them. Elijah's pronounced there's going to be a drought. So that means there are no crops. So there's no wheat, and of course there's no water. So things are not good. Now, (laughs) it's interesting what Elijah asks her for, because he asks her for the the two things that are in short supply. He asks her for bread, where there's been no, obviously, wheat harvest, so that's in short supply, and he asks for, for water. Now, when you look at the text, she brings the cup of water, but I like how, how Elijah does it. As she's going to get the water, he kind of has, he gives her this throwaway line. He says, oh, and by, while you're there, it's like, you know, when you're sitting down and you're having um, something to eat, and if, you're, if you're, you've got a partner or a marriage, you know, you say, oh, and by the way, darling, 
by the way, could you just bring me a sandwich that I can have with this? It's that throwaway. <laughs> and I just like the way she responds. She's like, the water, that's okay. But look, bread is not an easy thing because I don't, I don't have a lot of bread. And let me just say this to you, you know. It's easy to give when you've got plenty, isn't it? It's always easy to, to give when you've got an abundance, when it, it doesn't cost you anything. But however, in the midst of a drought and famine, this woman's faith is being tested. You know, as we are at the cusp of another new year, God has done some marvelous things to bring us as a church to this point. But I suspect that he's going to want to do some great and mighty things next year. And he's going to test us. And he's going to ask from us the things that are in short supply. Economically as a nation, we're not in a great place. However, for us to rise to what God has for us in 2014, there are at least three things I think God is going to require from us as a community. Those three things are time, energy, and money. So let's look at time. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 says this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as an unwise man or woman, but as a wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You know, time for us is important. You know, the funny thing is this, that we, we spend time carelessly, but we don't spend money as carelessly. But here's the interesting thing. Money, as someone says, comes and goes. But time goes. The minute you have, you're never going to have it again. So the challenge is that there's some of us who have lots of time, but not a lot of money. And then there's others of us who have a reasonable amount of money, but not a lot of time. And here's the challenge. So those of us who are time deficient, how are you going to use the discretionary time that God gives you next year? Jesus put it like this. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Investing the discretionary time that you have, that we all have, is going to be crucial next year. It's going to be crucial. Yes, we can obviously feed the poor. But you know what? Our goal and our mission here is not just to be a welfare center, but ultimately to rescue all those who are searching and seeking for Jesus. So that it can become devoted followers of Christ and part of his kingdom. 
Now, for some of you, in the time past, you have invested time in the kingdom of God. And by the way, when you, you know, you, we're all being given a circuit of days. How you spend that time, of course, is up to you. But ultimately, when you invest time in the kingdom, you're investing in eternity. You're investing in eternity. Now, for those of you who've served in the past, you know, and sometimes people get involved in serving the Lord and they get wounded or they get tired out, on, and they make decisions when they're wounded and they say, that's it, you know, I've done my bit now. All I'm looking forward to is when I retire, I'll be able to travel and be able to do things I've always wanted to do, etc., etc. And that's good. However, for such a time as this, maybe for some of you, God will come back to you and say, how's about you investing some of your discretionary time that I've given you in the work of, of my kingdom. To come back again and experience what it is to be used in, as Chris and I talk about, the family business. This is it, by the way. Let me just say, talk autobiographically. For me, the dream was always, I suppose, in me that one day I would, would do this type of thing, speak and preach the good news of the gospel of Christ. And about three years ago, as I spoke some time ago, my whole life kind of changed around because the job that I had, was, I was dismissed from, etc. However, in my heart, there was this desire to serve God's people and worship his name. And the Lord changed my situation around so that my, instead of me being controlled by the people I work for, by the way, whoever you work for, they control you. You say, what do you mean? Well, they tell you when you can go on holiday, don't they? <laughs> they give you five weeks or they give you four weeks. And if you want a day off and it's a, you know, if you teach, basically turn time, you can't get out unless you are sick. <laughs> yeah? So you are controlled by the people you work for. And I was frustrated because there were things I wanted to do. But God moved things around so that now I have a diary and the kind of work that I do so I can make choices about where I spend my time and where I invest my time. So I can invest my time here. I don't get paid for this, by the way. I'm like most of you, volunteer. See, it's easy for me to say that. But you see, in my heart, I wanted to make sure that I invested the time that he'd given me in his kingdom. You see, some people, and I was one of them, I wanted to develop some wealth so that I was at least financially independent so I could be free to serve the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the thing was this, it takes time to do that. And then I came to this point where I said, well, Lord, am I going to wait till I'm financially free? You know, I'm like this, right? Or am I going to give it now? And trust him that he will bring that to pass in his time. And you know what? I decided that I would do it now. I'll give it now. I wanted to give the best of myself and the best of the energy and the time and the money that I had. So that while I've still got all my faculties, I could serve God. You see, some people, and it's right for them to do so, I have to put parenthetical statement in here, it's right for you to serve your company or serve your organization. And then at the end of that time when you were retired, obviously, serve in the kingdom. 
But for some of us, we would have given our best to the corporation and God gets what's left. That's why for some of us. And for some of you, God is calling you now to, to give of your time and your energy to the purposes that are bigger and greater than you in terms of his kingdom being extended of men and women being taken from darkness to light and from the kingdom of Satan to Christ so that they might have, as it were, freedom and liberty. And he wants to use you as a conduit to do that. Paul put it like this. He said this. Brothers, and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, <clears throat> forgetting what is behind and straining to rule what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul had a sense of calling and vision and his whole life was to make sure he fulfilled the call that was on his life so that when he stood before Agrippa, and was there, as it were, being judged. He said, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And I want to be able to stand before God and say, well, Lord, the good word that you prepared beforehand in me, I fulfilled it. And blow it. If we never become financially independent, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is I fulfilled the mission. So how about you? How about, how are you going to spend your discretionary time next year? How are you going to invest it? How are you going to organize your life? Is it going to be Christ-centered? Is it going to be Christ first, and then we'll see where we can fit everything else? Or is it going to be other things first, and then we'll see if we can fit it in? God requires of us to sacrifice some of that time. What about energy? Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom and instruction. Look, your energy is directly proportional to the, the vision, goal, dream that you have. You, you, know, you wanna be an Olympic champion, you wanna be a 400 or 800 meter runner, then it's not gonna happen if you just get down and pray and ask, oh God, just give me the strength, give me the stamina. No, you have to go out and do the work. And, that, that, that's, and by the way, it's the same for examinations of GCSC. You know, I'm a Christian, uh, so I will just pray, but I will not study. <laughs> and then when God doesn't turn up, you're vexed with God. And you see, you know, <laughs> but you see, the reality is this, that you didn't do the work. You see, when I was, you know, I was an athlete, I was a middle champion, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things I noticed over the years, I saw many talented athletes that never made it. And it wasn't because of talent, it's because they didn't do the work and they got distracted. Girls or boys or other things. But your energy is always direct, directly proportional to the thing that is the passion in your life. Some people have what we call low energy. And here's the reason, because they don't believe that God is good. You say, what do you mean? You see, if God hasn't come through for you, or you have been wounded, or you are disappointed, or you live out of the, your reactions from the past, it creates low energy. 
you know, God, you project now your hurt and your woundedness onto God. And basically what you're saying is God can't be trusted. In other words, if I give you this loaf, loaf, loaf of bread, then I'm not going to have enough for myself. You live with what we call a scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality means that you can't enjoy anything. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, if there ain't enough for everybody, then if someone gets it, you feel jealous. You cannot applaud other people's success. You feel that the pie is small enough, and if they get a piece of the pie, there will be not enough pie for me. This affects your outlook. It means that you can't trust God. It means that you are open to covetousness, which is a form of idolatry. It creates low energy. The solution to that is actually to come before God and be honest with him and confess that, Lord, I feel disappointed with you. By the way, he can handle it. And actually begin to make confession of it so that we can get the, that stuff out the way. And God can come in and bring the healing that you need and the affirmation that you need and the comfort that you need so that you can begin to function as he intended you to be and you can take your place and your energy can rise and you are no longer a spectator but you now begin to participate in the good work that God prepared beforehand for you to do. That's the way it's supposed to work. And those people with low energy, you, you can bet sure they don't trust God and if God asks them to do something, they're always worrying. But Jesus said, you know, don't worry. So, simple step here is, if you know that you're not happy with God and he can handle it, and you think, well, you mean there are people who profess they are Christians? Yes. And you mean you, they don't believe that God is good? Well, they believe, you know, intellectually and theologically that God is good, but as far as God's goodness is impacting them, they don't believe it. And how do you know? They're always worrying about the next thing. And if they happen to be married to a partner who can trust God, they resent them too. Ooh. If you're married to a partner who trusts God and one that doesn't, then the one that doesn't will resent the person that does. Hello, 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 hello. That's the way it works. But God's plan for you is that you come into the light, make confession. Not only just to God, but to safe brothers and sisters who will pray with you and journey with you so that you can find out who you are and find out the glory of God's goodness. And you can become more aware of his presence. Let's look at the last one here, because I don't keep you too long this morning, because, you know, it's one service. I only get the chance to do it once, but wow, it's good, all right? Let's look at the last one, money. And I'm gonna take that to 1 Kings 17, 12 to 14. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, 
only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Because that lady was not unlike us. Her level of faith was based on what was going on around her. And what was going on around her was there was effectively famine and drought. And you're asking me in that kind of a situation to give you the water that I don't have and give you a bit of bread that I don't have? But first, make a small loaf of bread for me for what you have, for, from what you have and bring it to me. There's the test. You see, God isn't asking you to give what you haven't got. But what he's asking you is that you will give some of what you have, some of your time, some of your energy, some of your income. Just a small bit. And here's the wonderful thing. That as we, but what it takes to do that, and I mustn't run ahead of myself, what is it is required? Well, what's required is faith. And without it, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.1. For some of us, I think for many of us, our level of faith and expectancy in God's ability to do above and beyond that which we ask or think will need to rise in 2014. Faith is having unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though it has not yet come to pass. And for us as a congregation, as a, a, a a community, as we move into 2014, we're going to have to have a higher expectation that God is going to do above and beyond whatever we've experienced in 2013. And it will require faith, I, the ability to see that which is not seen until it becomes a reality. And that requires faith. And if you were like in what we call the championship in terms of faith, this year, God's goal for you is the premiership in terms of faith. He wants your faith to grow. He wants to show you that he can do things in your situation and circumstances that you have not seen. But here's the test. You need to give him the time, the energy, and the money. Some. Not all, some. So what happens? For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, i.e. God's supernatural provision will come upon you. Let me put it to you this way. Money will come to you. I said to my wife, I said, look how money keeps coming to me. I don't, yeah. When I need it. But as you invest God's 
Let me put it this way. When you look after his business, he looks after yours. When you look after his business, he looks after yours. So, she had to believe the word of the Lord as it came from Elijah. And today, we need to believe what Jesus said. Simple word here. Matthew 6, 31, 33. So do not worry. Oh, but I like worrying. It makes me feel comfortable. It comforts me. But he says, don't. You see, the minute you worry, then you are trying to take responsibility for being the provider. You are trying to work out your strategy to get things sorted out. God doesn't need any help. All he asks you to do is don't worry, trust me, give of your time, give of your energy, give of the income I give you, and don't worry. What shall we, what we shall eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? How are we going to pay the fuel bill? You know, because they put it up by whatever. God is able to provide, friends. For the pagans run after these things. You see, we have to be careful. We're a charity. We can't talk about political things. But, you know, when I listen to, you know, Mr. Cameron, I pray for him and, and pray for Mr. Meliban. They need help. They don't realize it, but they do. <laughs> because, you see, apparently the Guardian newspaper said that most people are disenchanted, disillusioned, and angry with our politicians. So we need to pray for them. And we need to pray that God will bring into their orbit men and women who have understanding of the times, who are not just secularists and rationalists and economists, but people who actually have a connection with God and are able to speak the wisdom of God to them and actually know that they're right. Most of us are mature enough to know that shouting at each other across the house is not really going to solve any of the problems. If you did it at home, it would be, it was, it, it, you'd, you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? you know, but we watch it in there, we're throwing paper, and thinking, well, hold on, hold on here a minute, Lord. These are the most educated people in our nation. They have been to some of the best schools. They have had a phenomenal education, and they have worked in the political arena. And this is how they do, this is how they behave. Hmm, this is strange. Pray for them. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we should pray for all those in authority over us that we may have a quiet and peaceable life all, all godliness and sincerity. So we, we have a responsibility as a community to pray for those in authority over us. Anyway, your father knows that you need them. Whatever it is you need, the father knows. But here's the key. Just as the lady had to first make the loaf of bread and give the man the cup, give Elijah the cup of water. This is what Jesus says to us. But seek first what? His, say it for me. Seek first his. And all these things will be given to you as well. And the challenge for us is in seeking God's kingdom first, God requires three things from us that we give some of our time. Discretionary time. And let me put parathetical statement in here. Of course you need time to rest. And of course for those of you who are in jobs, you need time to progress in those jobs. We're not saying that those things are wrong. But our God is asking you, not for all, just for some. He's asking for some of your energy. And as you get older, and I am getting older, but you know, I know I look young, but I am older. 
you find that you need to use your energy more wisely. When you're young, you can, you know, play football in the morning and then go and do athletics in the afternoon. And if you get injured within two days, you're back. You get older, you know, if you go out, well, I don't drink, but if you go out on a session, it takes you at least three days to recover. Ah, some of you know. <laughs> but you need to use your energy more wisely. And so some of that, so how are you going to invest your energy next year? How are you going to invest your time? And how are you going to invest your money? Now, here's the promise for us. That if we commit to the family business, this is the family business, and we invest our time and energy in seeing men and women turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, the jar of flour will not dry up. There will be no need in the house. I like to use the old word, no lack in the house. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstances, when you put God first, it allows him now to, as it were, move all of heaven's resources to ensure that you have what you need to do the work that he's called you to do. That's how it works. But the element that we need is faith and trust that he will come through for us. But you know, friends, I was reading Daniel the other day. Who remembers Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Because you remember they were deported from, from Jerusalem, 586 BC, to Babylon. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they were excelling themselves. But then Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down and worship this, this idol. And they said to him, and you can read it, Daniel 3, 16, 18. He says, look, let me just tell you, Mr. King, that we are not going to worship your idols. And our Lord will deliver us. Most of us as charismatic Christians would have been okay there. But this is what he, they go on to say. But let me tell you, Mr. King, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your king, your idol. Ooh. So, you give the priest, you, 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 you make the bread, you make the sacrifice. Now, his challenge for me, would you do it, if you do it and he doesn't turn up and he doesn't deliver, will you still serve him? Ooh. Because most of us are right up to, yes, oh king, the Lord will deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're going to serve. And what I'm saying to you is, if he doesn't come through, Will you still give your time and your energy and your money to something that is bigger and greater than we understand and that lives will be changed for eternity, irrespective of whether God comes through or not? Because I said to myself, well, look, you know, yes, oh, I've got a direct sales business, and yes, if I can make passive income, fine. But you know what? If it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter, because my goal, my passion is to see my Lord Jesus, as it were, raised up on high and Every eye will see him, every tongue will confess him as Lord, and men and women who look to him can be brought, drawn into relationship with him, and they can know what it is to live in the liberty and the dignity of someone who's been saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore, would it, what, what is better for me than to invest my life in something like that, rather than investing it in building someone else's business? You know, this is the way you need to think, folks. Because these are serious times. And 
We need to think about how we're going to spend the three things that God has given us as we move into 2014. And I know this, that God, who has brought us here over the next 25 years, is able to do in two to three years what took 25 years, because he can do it. 3,000 souls, one day. Acts chapter 4. Two, two, rather. So these are things, and I wish I could have brought a kind of more zippy message, but it's a challenging message. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to us. That will we give the small loaf? Will we give the oil that we have? Will we give our time, energy, and money so that God's kingdom can be extended? That men and women who are searching and searching for God, seeking for God, can find him in this community. Please, please stand. Band, will you come up now? Parents, if you, you've got children and you need to, uh, to, you know, to pick them up, you can be released now in the name of Jesus. <laughs> We're going to finish now. And as we stand together, I don't know how this message has challenged you, but it's challenged me. Because I know that God has big things for us to do in 2014. And he's going to require that sacrifice of time and energy and money. But you know what? God's provision is there on the other side. And what we pray is that God's, his faith, the faith of God may be, as it were, raised up in our hearts, that we may have a, a level of expectancy based on what we've seen already. A confidence that our God is able to do a seeding abundantly above that which we ask or think. Whatever challenge, economic, whatever challenge, financial, whatever challenge, emotional, whatever challenge, spiritual, whatever challenge you face, that God is able to meet that. But all he answers us is give what you have in terms of that time and energy. And my next pray, Father, we want to bless you for all that you've done for us throughout this year, throughout the 25 years. We thank you for Chris and Fliss, and we pray you'll bless them as they're having time relaxing. Refresh them and empower them and envision them, Lord, for the next course of work that we're about to do. And Father, we pray as a fellowship that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, you would reach down from heaven. And you would speak tenderly to us. And Lord, wherever we have devised strategies for our own provision, Father, we ask you that we would lay them aside. And Lord, we make space for you to do great and mighty things in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the provision that you have made for us. Thank you for the time that you have given us. Thank you for the energy that you have given us. Thank you for the money, the income that you've given us. And Lord, what we ask you that you will help us to invest these three things in eternity. So that we might see your kingdom come and we might see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And everybody said, Amen.